How do people describe you? It's usually, it seems, by the easily observable, your physical attributes. People say, you know, the tall guy. It's my son-in-law. A really strong one. I used to be in a church where the pastor was on the strength team. He broke handcuffs, bent bars, tear big phone books in half, lifted logs above his head. That was his fun. That's what he did to bring kids. He was the really strong guy. Hopefully you're not the uh, <clears throat> wide one. <clears throat> She's the cute one. You've heard that, I'm sure. The one with long or short or curly or blonde or uh, gray hair. Do people know who you are because of your physical attributes? Maybe they go a little further and see what you do. Uh, your vocation, the thing you do to earn money, or maybe more descriptive, your avocation, that that which some people do almost as much as their work, only they don't get paid for it. You may have heard of golf widows. Have you ever heard that? <laughs> some men are really into hunting or fishing to the point where people don't even know if they have a family. I'll tell you this story. Bob receives a free ticket to the Super Bowl from his company. Unfortunately, when Bob arrived at the stadium, he realized the seat was in the last top row in the corner of the stadium. He was closer to the Goodyear blimp than he was to the field, right? So about halfway through the first quarter, Bob notices an empty seat ten rows off the field right at the 50-yard line. He decided to take the chance and made his way through the stadium and around the security guards to the empty seat. As he sat down, he asked a gentleman sitting next to him, Excuse me, is anyone sitting here? The man replied, No. Very excited to be in such a great seat for the game, Bob said to the man next to him, This is incredible. Who in their right mind would have a seat like this at the Super Bowl and not use it? The man replied, Well, actually the seat belongs to me. I was supposed to come with my wife, but she passed away. This is the first Super Bowl we haven't been to together since we got married in 1967. Oh, I'm sorry. That's really sad. But still, couldn't you find someone to take the seat? A relative or a close friend? No, the man replied, they're all at the funeral. <laughs> yeah, might not be good. But your hobbies could be a good thing you do that might define you to some people. Clearly, our abilities speak volumes about who we are. He's the really smart one. She's wonderfully gifted musically. He's an incredible artist. Things like that. Whether we like it or not, our relationships say a ton about us. Some of them we have no choice in, which may be good or not. My dad was a mechanic, and that defined me. Everybody figured I knew how to work on cars, which I do, but I don't want to. <laughs> but that wasn't a problem for me. I mean, you know, I like my dad, and, and being a mechanic is an honorable profession. In my lifetime, we've had at least two presidents that had terribly alcoholic relatives, one a brother and one a father. And people, and I think fairly, ask if they had issues that way. I'm sure that both of them would have preferred not to have this problem. Her kids are great students. Well, that would be good. <laughs> and then there are those relationships we choose. He's married to that woman. She hangs with that guy. His friends are those people. Now, we shouldn't get too tied up with what people think of us. It's not the most important thing in the world. 
But maybe it is important to consider how we would describe ourselves. How do you want people to describe you? And how would you like to actually be? There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This is a fascinating biblical example. That single sentence tells us that Nicodemus was successful, wealthy, powerful, highly educated. (laughs) What? We get all that from Pharisee and ruler of the Jews? And as a matter of fact, we do. The Romans used the Sanhedrin, you see, to manage the nation of Israel. These 70 men were all top scholars with successful businesses and big bank accounts. In fact, archaeology has found records from exactly this time period of a Nicodemus who was a member of the Sanhedrin. Now, whether it's the same Nicodemus John records, we don't know. But it certainly does give you some food for thought. Other biblical characters are described in a variety of ways. The John who wrote this gospel was the disciple Jesus loved. Paul called himself a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. (laughs) Maybe he loves his job. Others, enemies, called him and his fellows those men who have turned the world upside down. (laughs) I kind of like that one. (laughs) James, the son of Joseph and Mary, Jesus' half-brother, said he was a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus Christ. He may have doubted Jesus before he was raised from the dead, but he certainly got it afterwards. Here's another self-description. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. These are some exciting self-portraits, which brings us to the paper you have, I hope, in your hands. Of course, there are blanks for you to fill in. Here's the first one. In the next year, I want to be described as what? Well, I really don't want you to fill that part in yet. Just fill in described as. My hope is that you will take this paper with you and talk it over with your family or your friends and carefully write down all your thoughts sometime after thinking about all we'll look at today. If you want to, and this is up to you, you can put it in an envelope, seal it, put your name on the address on the outside and hand it to me next week. Somewhere around July or something, I'll put some postage on it and I'll drop it in the mail to you. Then you'll get a letter from yourself to yourself. (laughs) And you can check up on yourself. Am I really doing what I wrote down here? Nobody's ever going to see it, but you, well, of course, a God. (laughs) That's a whole other thought. In the next year, I want to be described as... Okay, for now, let's go back to our first example from the Bible. This man came to Jesus by night. Why? Was Nicodemus afraid of being seen? Afraid people might think he actually took this crazy man seriously? Are you afraid of being seen with Jesus? Afraid of being called one of those Christians? (laughs) Did you know that the very first time that name was used, it was an insult? I don't know if you knew that. It was an insult. But the early church was instructed to live in such a way as to bring honor to the name. And the name Christian became a positive appellation. Maybe, if the church today lived as it was supposed to, being called a Christian would once again be considered a compliment. Are you afraid of being seen with Jesus? Well, maybe good old Nick, just he just had to work during the day. <laughs> 
Could it be that he made a special effort to get out and see Jesus? I mean, that would be great. Or maybe this is just the normal time people met. The normal time. Do, do you have a normal time to talk with Jesus? Be a good thing. Especially if you share some of it with your spouse or your family or your friends. In the next year, I will improve my prayer life such that well, we'll fill that in later. Whatever the motive, when Nicodemus saw Jesus, it changed his life. Not immediately, and not all the way. Truth is, at first he told no one. It was years later before he finally committed everything to Jesus. We need to talk with Jesus regularly to help us. But we also need to talk with others about Jesus for them, to build them up. Is there someone who needs you to make an effort to talk about Jesus with them? And the next year, I will do my best to talk about Jesus with... Well, you might have a name you can write down right away, but you can think about that. This man said to him, Rabbi... We know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. No one can do these signs that you do. Was Nicodemus telling the truth about his thoughts? <laughs> Rabbi, teacher, you know, these are words that carry respect. Did he mean it? Or was he trying to manipulate? Did he, did he think he could lull Jesus into a false sense of security and then trap him in some way? Was it all a lie? Or was he actually seeking the truth? I think he was. I think he wanted to know what was real. In the next year, I will embrace truth by... By what? <laughs> what is it that means truth or not to you? And what are you true <clears throat> or not? We know that you are a teacher from, come from God. By we, Nicodemus probably meant his friends in the Sanhedrin. Who is we in your life? Nicodemus later had to choose between Jesus and the Sanhedrin. Everything, everyone he knew and was comfortable with. He did it, eventually. Not until they killed Jesus, but he did do it. And before he, Jesus rose from the dead, that was... <laughs> but did it, did it take them becoming murderers before he would finally drop his relationship with them? Wow. He had to leave behind almost everyone he knew. Very few of his friends believed with him. All the rest he had to leave in his past. Ah, but of course, God gave him a whole new set of friends with whom he could say, we believe. But who is we in your life? Bad company corrupts good morals, the Apostle Paul said. Are you willing to make an effort to associate more with those who can help you in your faith and leave behind those who will drag you down? And the next year, I will change my relationships for Jesus. Specifically, well, you better not let anybody see what you're right there. <laughs> Now, I know I've gone from preaching to meddling, but, <clears throat> but, but you know, if it bothers you a lot, 
perhaps you'll recognize at least its importance. No one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. What signs did Nicodemus mean? John recorded that many people believe because of the signs. It sounds like we're talking miracles here. And miracles scream out, the supernatural is here. Can't happen naturally. It has to be the supernatural. But let's face it. Moses said that magicians, who clearly did not worship the true God, did signs. We know Nicodemus knew his scripture. Did he wonder about that? Did he wonder if Jesus was the Messiah? And what about that other sign that had just happened where Jesus cleared the temple? Definitely not a miracle, but certainly a dramatic sign of who Jesus is that no one could miss. Was it craziness? He was flipping tables. He was whipping people. Or what? And if Nicodemus really believed Jesus was the Messiah, why did he just say, Rabbi and teacher? Do you understand who Jesus is? Truly understand? Can you see the signs clearly enough to know who he is? The signs during his earthly life. Do you read the Bible enough? The whole Bible is about Jesus. Do you attend Bible studies enough? Besides our Sunday service, we normally have a Sunday discussion group at 9.15, if I'm not late. Uh, Dr. Truitt is here most Wednesday nights. You get with your friends to talk about Jesus the Messiah. In Greek, it would be the Christ. I've been working on making the special forces training, which we've done here two times, a little more than two times. But I'm trying to make that, since we now live in Grandma, I'm trying to make that available online and I'll work with you via email, phone calls. If it's something that you think you should do, look at it. You can go to specialforcestraining.org. It's actually on the web. I made a website for it. And maybe you should participate in that. Find ways to study the Bible. What are you going to do to make sure you know who Jesus is? That's what we're saying. In the next year, I will study my Bible by... What? How are you going to do it? And can you see the signs in his works today? Well, I'll tell you one way you can do that. You gather with his church enough so that you can. Do you do enough good works for him? Not for yourself, not to gain something, but for him. You talk to people about him. You serve him in all you do. It's an excerpt from a letter to the Colossian church. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. In the next year, I will serve Jesus by Can you see signs of Jesus in your own life? Have you seen changes in your life in the last year because of Christ? Or have you found yourself going backward? (laughs) Do something right. Don't do things for yourself. Oh, I love to help people. It just makes me feel so good. Well, then good. We're done. (laughs) You've got your reward. 
Don't do things for the applause of others. Certainly don't do the, you scratch my back and I'll scratch your back. Yeah, don't, don't do that. Will you do good works, Jesus says to do, simply because he asks you to? In the next year, I will change my life because of who Jesus is. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Entire books have been written about nothing but this statement. I kid you not. It's amazing. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Born again. The truth is, it's not so clear in the original language. <laughs> in fact, almost nothing is. English. <sighs> English is a horrible language if one wants to stretch the mind. All the ancient languages required one to carefully think through the entire conversation, comparing thoughts to thoughts. English, on the other hand, has over one million specific words. Kid you not, more than one million specific words. Very precise language, and I love the precision that's possible with our language. But the truth is, that we are rarely left to carefully consider the context of every phrase and know it's total. We just don't have to do that very much. The Greek that we see translated again could be translated from above. Which did he mean? Born again? Born from above? Or was he maybe really stretching old Nick's mind and he actually meant both? That's kind of where I've landed, by the way. <laughs> Jesus primarily meant born again. But he also wanted Nicodemus to be thinking about from where this second birth comes. Are you born again from above? Well, why am I asking you? If you are, you must be excited. <laughs> and when you're excited about something, don't you want to tell someone else? Who is it that you know that should hear this truth of Jesus. You must be born again. In the next year, I will tell... Who? Now, perhaps taking a few moments to think about this right now wouldn't be a bad thing. In the next year, I will tell... Who? Especially talk with your believing family and friends about it. Make a concerted effort to pray together for those ones who so desperately need the saving grace available only through Jesus Christ. Don't forget that when this life's over, it's done. Their decision will never change. Whatever their condition is then, it becomes eternal. So write down at least one name right now. A friend? A relative? Someone you work with? Maybe a neighbor. One person. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Okay, there are two ways we can understand what Jesus says here. The kingdom of God. Of course he means enter into the kingdom of God on the last day. 
But as usual, there's the already but not yet aspect to this statement. Yes, we want people to enter into the kingdom of God on the judgment day. The Bible is replete with warnings to avoid the, shall we say, alternative. But let us consider the now aspect of this statement. Can you see the kingdom of God? Do you know what it is? Do you know for sure for what you are looking? (laughs) Exactly what you should see. Here's some really good news. You don't have to. (laughs) You just have to want to know. Jesus said it clearly on another occasion. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. All you have to do is desire. God takes care of the rest. So can you write this down and mean it? In the next year, I will seek to see the kingdom of God. Seek to see. You must be born again. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Now, the guy's not a dummy. Nicodemus knew this was impossible. That, in fact, is his point. So, first, it's okay not to know everything. If Nicodemus didn't know and was willing to admit it, should we really feel so bad when we have questions? (laughs) But most importantly, what he is doing here is holding up his faith and letting Jesus shoot at it. Really. He's putting his own faith, all that he believes, to the test. We'll look at how in a moment. The point is, he wanted an answer. Even if it meant having to abandon what he understood to be true all his life. Indeed, his entire way of life was up for grabs right here. We could easily, from hearing him talk, begin to think that Nicodemus was starting to understand that he didn't even understand the questions, let alone have any clue to the answers. And remember, this guy would have the equivalent of a PhD in theology. So, what about you? Are you willing to question your faith? To ask that tough questions. And by the way, for those of you who have kids old enough and that you raised in the church, remember when your kids said something like, how do we know the Bible is true? I can remember that one. And then this one, how do we know Jesus actually rose from the dead? Whoa, that'll make your heart skip a beat or two. At least it did mine. Because if you're like me, not really sure. Not really. <laughs> Could I actually prove it to be true? You don't need to go to seminary like I did. <laughs> don't overdo it necessarily. But, yeah, know that you know. And here's a newsflash. God's not worried. <laughs> you can ask Him all the questions you want. He's really sure of the truth. <laughs> Just ask him. Every tough question you can think of, ask, ask. And I mean, ask him. Don't hide from the hard truths. 
That's how you get more secure in your faith. Every time you find an answer, you grow more sure that there are answers to every question. Be like Nicodemus. In the next year, I will challenge my own faith. How can a man be born when he is old? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Truly, truly. If it was Hebrew, it might be amen, amen. Amen means it is firm. We'd say carved in stone. It's the kind of thing you say when you want to show your agreement with some other person's statement. Pastors ask for it all the time, right? Give me an amen, right? Haven't you heard that? (laughs) Hear, hear used to mean an approval or support of some statement. Maybe people still say that. But Jesus uniquely, well, he was unique, uses it of his own saying. (laughs) I'm telling you that what I am saying is true and absolute. One point is that the word of Jesus is unlike any other. The word of God is unlike any other. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable. It needs to be observed like nothing else. Adhered to absolutely. Just like Jesus was looking directly into your eyes. And saying, just do it. (laughs) Do it. In the next year, I will take God's word as absolute. Born of water and the spirit. This is actually important, although it will seem like a fun rabbit trail, which you know I like to do. I have heard a seminary professor say that by water, Jesus meant baptism. Let me just say, that's completely nuts. That is not true. (laughs) Water does not mean baptism in this context. And water is not another way of saying Spirit of God or some special blessing of the Spirit. Simply put, water means natural birth. And to the contention that there is no place else in Scripture where Scripture uses the term that way, one simply has to go to the prophet most quoted in the New Testament, Isaiah. Where, very important here, natural birth, water, is tied to Jews with false faith. Faith that rejected, that was rejected by God, no matter how loudly they claimed it was a reality. With Nicodemus, Jesus is rejecting the idea that birth into the Jewish nation is sufficient for salvation. By and large, the Jewish community of that day believed simply being from the nation of Israel guaranteed them access to the kingdom of God. Nope. Jewishness isn't enough. Are you ready to enter the kingdom of God? You ever had anyone say, oh, I've always been a Christian? (laughs) No, you haven't. And if that's your thought, you probably aren't now either, to tell you the truth. You have to be born again from above. Whether you're young or old or fast or slow, you have to be born by the Spirit. Remember, if being ready for the kingdom of God is your desire, you probably are ready. Relax. Further proof that Jesus meant natural birth when he said water 
comes from this next statement. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. It's kind of fun to look at the Apostle Paul's use of the word flesh. It's almost always a bad thing. In fact, he often uses the word flesh to mean sin. The fun part is, that's what Jesus is doing right here. (laughs) Don't care if you were born Jewish or anything else. If you've only been born by water, you are dead spiritually. And spiritual death is a horrible existence. The worst things in this world are only a hint at how bad it will be in eternity. Did you really hear that? The worst things in this world are only a hint at how bad it will be in eternity for those who are spiritually dead. The worst things in this world. Okay, a little levity. Gallagher opened up the morning newspaper and was dumbfounded to read in the obituary column that he had died. He quickly phoned his best friend, Finney. Did you see the paper, said Gallagher. They're saying I died. Yes, I saw it, replied Finney. Where are you calling from? (laughs) Hmm, where will you be calling from? Are you ready to enter the kingdom of God? Do you have a clear understanding of flesh and spirit? Does Romans chapter 7 make any sense to you? I'll leave that one for you to study later. It's about living as God wants you to rather than as your evil desires would like. And here's your next challenge. In the next year, I will live more by the spirit and less by the flesh. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. And Nicodemus struggled because he thought he had it down. Before he sat face to face with Jesus, he was sure he understood. But now he saw the truth. He would have to give up on his incorrect preconceptions. Leave them behind. Can you imagine the shock he must have felt? Here's this country bumpkin preacher blowing his mind. He couldn't even understand the questions. And then the truth is, sometimes it's a good thing to blow up our minds. (laughs) Like completely annihilate what we are thinking. Because it's not right. (laughs) Don't hold on to the past or the wrong things you thought in the past. When you, when you went through your natural birth, you had to leave everything behind. Think about it. You were warm, comfortably snuggled up in your mother's womb. Didn't have to worry about food, work, nothing. Nice dim mood lighting. Just floating there in ecstasy. And all of a sudden, you're shoved out into a cold word. Some big brute grabs you by the ankles, hangs you upside down, and smacks your rear end. Yow! That's a dramatic change. Anybody still wish they were in their mother's womb? <laughs> you know, after 30 or 40 years, it would be kind of weird. <laughs> All right? And your mother wouldn't want it anyway. <laughs> you can't move forward without leaving the past behind. And maybe it needs to be pretty dramatic. What will you leave behind? In false belief, 
in bad relationships, in what? And then what? What will you do? In the next year I will stop what? In the next year I will start what? The wind blows where it wishes. And you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now, of course, we wonder, how do we understand who's who? (laughs) Who's born of the Spirit? Who's no more than flesh? But the important point here is this. Have you recognized that God and God alone rules? The Spirit blows where He wants. Not where you want, not where your mom wants, not where the flesh wants. God decides what is what. And who is who. What should your life be like if this is true? What will you change in your life to reflect this? What would Jesus challenge you to change in your life? Whatever the case, hold on to this. In the next year, I will remember that God chose me before he made the world. God knew everything about you before you were even you. And still, (laughs) he chose you. You are loved by the creator of the universe. And fellow believers, fellow Christians, you will live forever. The question then is where and what are you bringing along? (laughs) What did you bring from your life in the womb to this life that you now live? Just what you became there. So what are you becoming here that you will bring into the next real life? In the next year, I will change my spiritual life. How do people describe you? Your physical self is important. What you do, your vocation, your avocation, your hobbies, it's important. Your abilities are important. But all of it is important only when and how it touches your spiritual life. Over the next year, what will you be in this new year? Let's go through them again. In the next year, I want to be described as... In the next year, I will improve my prayer life such that. In the next year, I will do my best to talk about Jesus with. In the next year, I will embrace truth by. In the next year, I will change my relationships for Jesus specifically. In the next year, I will study my Bible by. In the next year, I will serve Jesus. Five. In the next year, I will change my life because of who Jesus is. In the next year, I will tell who. In the next year, I will seek to see the kingdom of God. In the next year, I will challenge my own faith. 
In the next year I will take God's word as absolute. In the next year I will live more by the Spirit and less by the flesh. So, in the next year I will stop. In the next year I will start. And very important, in the next year I will remember that God chose me before he made the world. In the next year I will change my spiritual life. One day we will finally realize the new birth in full. It will be way more dramatic than our first birth. And no big brute will be paddling our bottoms. <laughs> it will all be pure joy. Everything will be so fantastically better than what we know today. Knowing that, how now shall we live? Let's pray. Father, as we look over what you've done for us and what you will do for us, the amazing promises that we have, especially the promise of eternal life in glory, in absolute splendor, in every good way and good thing there could be, we will be with you forever. That alone is more than, more than we can understand, period. <laughs> but we thank you that we know it's true. Lord, there are a lot of steps we have to take, a lot of things we need to do to bring ourselves into a position where we are becoming what you want us to become. So over the next year, Lord, I pray that you help every one of us to do what we're supposed to do and help us to help others to do what they're supposed to do. Help us to tell others who don't even know that they need to be born again from above. Thank you, Father, so much for the joy that you give us for all the things you've done for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.